we are live for the first time. We've been wanting to do a live show for a long time now, and this is the first time that we've ever actually been able to do it. So thank you, everyone, who's uh, turned in to join. This is episode eight of the Extra Rounds podcast. My name is Mike Dice. Uh, as always with me is my co-host, Elias Sepeda. And uh, we're here. We got a very interesting show lined up for you. We have uh, three great guests. We have Mickey Gall coming off of his uh, big win at UFC 203 over CM Punk. We have, uh, who else am I thinking of? Jason Perillo, coach yeah. to uh, Michael Bisping, Chris Cyborg. He's going to be on the show. We also have uh, Eddie Bravo. Eddie Bravo to talk about his invitational. And uh, we, we haven't been in the studio, the two of us, no. for like two weeks. Yeah, man. What's, what's up, man? Are we ever going to talk about Cleveland yeah. or not? So, like, I went to UFC 203, which created a logistical issue. Um, so, well, you had a health issue. Yeah, I, so, otherwise I would have been there with you. Right. And then I had doctor's appointments the next week when I got back. So, so that's the cover story, not, not all the uh, yeah, extreme par- Cleveland that's partying the story. that really happened. I'm sticking to it. Uh, <laughs> thank you again, everybody, for tuning in. Once again, my name's uh, Mike Dice. Uh, this is my co-host, as always, Elias Sapeta. Um, so first things first, let's uh, kind of get right into it and uh, start about some t- talk about a few things before we get our first guest on the phone, Mickey Gall. First, UFC 205, big talking point, historic event, Madison Square Garden. They still have yet to really name anything. So they came out yesterday and like announced five fights, I think it was, but we still don't necessarily have a main event. Woodley is defending his belt against Stephen Thompson, but I don't think that's going to be the main event. What are, you, what are you thinking? It may have to be if things keep going along the lines that they seem to be. They've got no John Jones. they got, um, it seems like they have no Eddie Alvarez versus Conor McGregor, even though Eddie Alvarez still wants that. So, uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, Woodley versus Thompson is an amazing fight and can make them both stars. But, yeah, they don't have the name recognition, either one of them yet, to pull in big numbers as, as they should. So, yeah, it's an interesting situation, though, with, with that lightweight title uh, scene. Yeah, the uh, McGregor being on the card as the main event is a huge selling point. I think it makes it a huge event, and it's already a big event, but it makes it a bigger event. My issue is, though, he just fought a five-round war, and that's a too fast of a turnaround. I'm with you. It's way too fast of a turnaround, especially after his last fight was too fast of a turnaround. And they've had so many stacked cards that I feel like they've just kind of put themselves in a situation where people need to rest. You know, like yeah. you heard Stipe uh, ask for rest after 203. Cormier wanted some time off. Like, the, you know, Thompson and Willie are the only people who really could jump right back in right away. Maybe Dominic Cruz could do something. But Cody Garbrandt just fought at UFC 202 if he's the guy who you're going to have fight next. And like, so there's got to be time there. And you got to think about other events down the line. You know, there's a lot of uncertainty uh, as far as what's going to transpire on the cards over the end of the year. So um, it's definitely an interesting situation. Do you think... Eddie Alvarez should be defending the belt against Conor McGregor first? Or are you on the Team Khabib side, as uh, Dana White has said, Khabib will fight for the belt next? It's an interesting question. I have, I'm, I'm torn. I think Khabib is, has earned his title shot a long time ago. At the same token, Eddie Alvarez has certainly earned his title. And I'd like to see these fighters have more decision-making power. As certainly, I'd like to see champions have more decision-making power. Listen, if this guy's going to fight again in a relatively short turnaround. I know his, 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 last, his win was quick over Rafael Dos Angeles. His training camp most certainly was not. If he's going to go in there, and I, I'm sure Eddie Alvarez will fight Khabib. He's probably just going to ask for a lot of money to do it. 
I'm, 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 I think he'll make a lot of money if he fights Conor McGregor, and, and that's a better matchup for him. Khabib, number, uh, uh, you know, Khabib is a more dangerous matchup for Eddie Alvarez than just about anyone. He's relatively unknown. Um, so if you're gonna if you're gonna make someone fight like a mandatory challenger situation in a system that doesn't really have that, then you got you got to pay him. So I'd like to see Eddie Alvarez fight um, Khabib, but I'd like to see him get you know the right amount of money to do it. Uh, I certainly don't think Conor McGregor has made a good case for himself being able to beat the best of the best at lightweight. The best he's done so far against lightweights uh, is getting a really like squeaker of a decision over, over Nate Diaz. I love Nate Diaz. I think he's a phenomenal fighter. You know who didn't have close fights with him? Rafael Dos Anjos, Benson Henderson. Like, I don't think Conor McGregor is a great matchup to, or a great pick to, to win the title. So it's kind of a crazy thing. But the thing that most concerns me, the reason I would say no, no Conor is what you were saying. It's a quick turnaround. That's not healthy. So you're playing matchmaker here for a second. Yeah. You have Conor McGregor defend his featherweight belt next. Probably, yeah. I mean, I I I think so. Unless unless he wants to fight for the lightweight title uh, at a time that makes a a, a little bit more sense, um, I I would love to see the the, the rematch with with uh, Jose Aldo. So that's my personal preference. I think they can make bigger money with him going up uh, and wait. So I can understand them going for that, but. It has to be at a time that makes a, a, a little bit more sense. And if I was the matchmaker, I probably wouldn't be trying to nickel and dime the, the fighters as much either. And uh, just to let everybody who's watching know, in about five minutes, we're going to have UFC fighter Mickey Gall calling in. Uh, so stay tuned for that. But before, while we wait for him to call in, uh, let's talk about Chris Cyborg a little bit. Yeah. She's a huge talking point this week. She's fighting in the main event at Brasilia, uh, the UFC Brasilia card. We've uh, got her coach on the line today. Yeah, so. Jason Perillo, her coach, is going to be on the line, and he's going to shed some inform- shed some light on uh, the weight cutting situation because uh, we'll ask about it. But that's the huge story this week is the weight cutting division. Now, the UFC needs a featherweight division, I think, and I think that's clear. And she's certainly a big enough star to carry it. So why are they forcing her to do 140? Strange, right? I, I haven't really figured that out either, other than to say that sometimes the UFC is dogmatic and stubborn on things that, that they have no reason to be. Just, you know, you think they're stubborn about this. Well, how about how stubborn Dana White was saying we'll never have women fight in the UFC ever, period. He had no legitimate reason to say that. It was based on ignorance. He said there weren't enough women. The divisions weren't deep enough. He was wrong. He just didn't know enough about women in MMA. So I haven't figured it out. It makes, real no, it makes no real sense for me to have women come up and wait uh, to fight smaller women come up and wait to fight cyborg and have her go down even further uh, it, it's it's a crazy cut I, i'm really interested in talking to jason Prillo about it i i happen to be around her camp for a brief period of time before her ufc debut uh, and she she was she she might have been like 170 and was completely ripped and cut like she's not she she's not light, right? She's a very strong person. She's not short. Like it's a very difficult thing for her to get to one forty five. I don't know why they're doing this exactly. She is a star. She's headlining this card. Her her traffic numbers I've always found and, and you know and, and stories having to do with her are, are are huge. I I don't get it. I don't get it at all really. I'm not I'm not sure at all why why they're going this direction. Okay, well let's uh before Mickey Gogan comes in, we got a question from couple people in the crowd awesome watching um that we'll get to my thoughts on cyborg if she's a big enough feature fighter that you're going to bring her in in special circumstances let her fight at 145 yeah what's the matter yeah, i agree like, 
that division is not weaker than it's 135. It's not for a belt. It's not for. It's a division that doesn't exist. So yeah. why why can't she fight at a different weight? Make it 150. I, I agree. It's probably just about control more than anything. Um. So question we have from Michael. He says, uh, Connor and Eddie. Do you think Connor is going into this the same way he went into the Diaz fight? That he's too sure of himself. Now, this is a fight that hasn't been made yet. The first fight. So first, yeah. you know, that's important to know. Sure. But do you think, you know, he sent out that tweet, beg me for this fight? Is he being too cocky? I think what he's sure of, Michael, and thanks for the question, is that he's the biggest star in the UFC and he'll, he'll sell the most uh, pay-per-views. So I think that's what he's definitely sure of. Uh, I, th- I, th- I think he probably feels if he can go Eddie Alvarez into a striking war, he certainly has a chance to win it. And uh, it looks like we have a question from Jose Youngs. What's and, up, uh, Jose? He, asks, he says he asked Dwayne this. He's talking about Dwayne Finley from uh, Flow Combat. He does his uh, Ask Old Bo. Yeah, he was on earlier thing. today. Good his stuff. Facebook Live thing. Uh, friend, of, friend of both of ours. Um, anyways, he, he goes, let's talk serious matchmaking. Who would win in a fight? Alien versus Predator versus Judge Dredd. I don't, I've never seen. I don't even know who the third one is. I haven't seen the other two movies. <laughs> I saw the, the latest Judge Dredd. That was a pretty cool movie. Um, I'll go with Judge Dredd. I don't even know what that is. He's a, he's a comic book character that they made into movies. Back in the 90s, Sylvester Stallone was Judge Dredd. Now they have this, some, some new cat that doesn't take off the helmet. He was in a, a movie. I think it was originally a comic book character. He's a cop in the dystopian future. Well, uh, Richard, our, produ- <laughs> our production tech, is letting me know that uh, Mickey Gall is on the line. So let's go ahead and patch him through and, uh, and get started. So uh, first off, Mickey, thank you so much for uh, taking the time out to uh, talk to us today. Oh, my pleasure, bro. Um, so first question, UFC 203 is in the rearview mirror. Uh, you know, you had this fight with CM Punk, huge WWE star coming over. People talked about the pressure and the spotlight and all this. With that experience in your rearview mirror, uh, you know, how would you summarize, summarize it now? Uh, for me, it worked out very well. Um, you know, I got a, a wonderful opportunity. I got a, a nice, a nice fight, um, and I got to do, do it. You know, I got to go fight in front of twenty thousand people. Uh, you know, in, in in the queue, which was it was wonderful. Uh, that, you know, it was, it was so much fun for me. I, I really, you know, feed, like I was really feeding feeding off the crowd, and I just I felt amazing. I kept myself, you know, calm and cool, but, you know, it was just, it was so much fun. Like, I'm jonesing for that experience again, man. That high was crazy. Uh, and, you know, it got me uh, a lot of exposure and, uh, you know, will, will help my, uh, it will help my MMA career from that standpoint. So a lot of guys will, a lot of great MMA fighters will stay in obscurity. I have a little bit of a name right now and, I, you know, I'm, but I'm, I'm staying humble. I'm getting after it. I'm driving to practice right now, just trying to get better at what I do. And uh, when you got the fight, it was, Pretty much because you just asked for it. Dana White happened to be at your pro debut. You saw an opportunity, you took it, and you were rewarded. Uh, when you got the fight, could you believe your luck? Jeez, man, no. I, like when I first when I asked for that fight, I figured ten people would have done it that night or the night before too. It just it seemed very obvious to me. Uh, for whatever reason, I, I was the only one who did it. Uh, and, you know, put me in a great spot. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm very lucky. I, I was the right place at the right time, and I said the right thing. You know, I, 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 I was absolutely lucky, but I also did, I did things to make it happen. So I'm, I'm happy that I, you know, opened my mouth and, and, and said what I did. I'm personally fascinated by your 
thought process in calling him out. You saw an opportunity. You called him out, CM Punk. Uh, it was well thought out. You knew Dana White was going to be there. Then you win at UFC 203, and you were teasing all week that you had a name in the back of your mind. Your moment came after winning uh, Sage Northcutt, which is a smart decision. There's a guy with some hype and some notoriety uh, who's young like yourself, and it's a way to kind of uh, feed off of his hype. Um, so I'm fascinated by the thought process and then the planning that it takes uh, from your end. So where does this all come from? Is this all you? Is this from your dad? Is this from your coach? Um, no, it's, it's all me, but I guess it's, I could also say I, I am the, you know, I, I'm, you know, fr- I'm from my dad. I'm influenced by my dad, from my friends. I surround myself with great people. Um, but, you know, it's me. I, when, I got the, when I got the call uh, to find out Dana White was going to be at my – at my first fight, immediately when I got off the phone, I was like, "Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna call out CM Punk. That's the only guy in the UFC I could, you know, I, I'd really be allowed to fight based on records and what, you know, commission approval and stuff." So that, that was just what I was going with, man. You know, I, and yeah, stage. That just seems like a fun, nice fight. Uh, the people love it. The people love it, man. I'm getting so much uh, positive people saying that the only fight I care about in the UFC is Mickey Gall for Stage North, which is crazy because there's so many great fights to be made, but. You know, I, I hear what they're saying, and people are excited. So I'm glad. I'm glad I can, you know, excite people. There's an incredible amount of interest in this fight. Uh, Sage has said some things um, that's built up some more interest. Why do you think that people are drawn to this matchup? Uh, I don't know, man. I think we're both. We both have shown uh, strong things, but we're both still relatively untested. We're both. We both have questions about us, and I think. What better opportunity than to let us to, you know, Dana White look, looking for a young guns to bang out, and we'll see who the who the better man is. We'll see who they say, you know, the, ever, on paper it's the striker versus grappler match, but you know, I, I got some I got some striking for his ass. You know what I mean? Like I got I, I got I got I got some stuff I want to show, and I'm sure he's got some stuff he wants to show. So I, I just think that'd be a fun fight. We're both you know young guys. We've been we're on a reality show. It'd be cool. And uh, there's this talk about a staff infection at one point in time and um, that maybe he's not ready to take this fight at UFC 205. Uh, if you have to wait to take this fight, is, is it something that you would wait for? Um, yeah, how long are we talking? I mean, how long is a staff infection? It's like a two-week thing. Uh, I, I don't know, I don't know what, what, that, what that's about exactly. That's, that's not a long injury. Um, you know, so I don't see how far that should put his back, you know. And, uh, and fighters seem to start a lot of drama to try and angle for fights. You've seen just recently Tyrone Woodley and Daniel, or I'm sorry, Daniel Cormier and Anthony Johnson going back and forth and on Twitter. Um, all the drama with Conor McGregor and Nate Diaz. And uh, you've been able to do it without any of that, except for basically just asking to fight a guy. How does that work for you? And what makes you different in that regard? Uh, I think I'm doing it in the again, like I'm I'm finding that right place, right time. I did it when everyone's tuning in to watch CM Punk fight. I, you know, I beat him up, and so then you know everyone's kind of paying attention to me for for a couple minutes. So I'm gonna try and make the most of that. I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna take I'm gonna take my opportunities, and I'm gonna make the most of them. Uh, I, you know, I I just I, I saw that. You know, I think standing on the mic. If if there's someone you want to fight, where's a better place than when they're putting a microphone in your face in front of, you know. 20,000 people plus the millions of pay-per-view buyers. That's the time to say what you want, you know? Uh, I, I don't... I, I don't understand why what people don't, don't do that. 
but yeah, I you know that, that I, maybe that's why I don't. I think you know Twitter only the people who follow you are gonna or follow them are gonna see that. But you know you do it. Uh, that's our moment. Our 15 minutes we get in the that we get in the cage. That's our moment. So you gotta make the most of all that. And uh, Diaz famously said that he was going to take McGregor's hype. This was before UFC 196. That he was going to take his hype and make it his. And after he beat him, that certainly became the case. Diaz was on TV and everything. Do you feel like you were doing the same thing that you took CM Punk's hype or interest and you've made it yours? And now you singled out Sage and you're going to take his hype and make it yours as well? Yeah, that's the best. Yeah, I think that's the nature of the beast. That's the fight game. We, uh, there's two people who want something. And only one person is going to get it. So you got to take you got to take everything from each other. Uh, you you know that's why when I go in there, I know my opponent is, wants to take everything from me. Uh, CM Punk wanted to take my dreams from me. He wanted to take everything from me. So when I go in there, I want to kill him. I want to take everything from him. I uh, you know that that's the nature of the game. It's doggy dog. It, it really cuts away the BS of life. You know what I mean? It's it's you. We got we got 15 minutes to do it now. So uh, you know, I, and I, I step up for that. I love that. I embrace that. It, it, what I live for. And I'm sure you're sick of talking about 203 and CM Punk and you're ready to put that behind you and in the past. But, you know, there was the incident from the weigh-ins, the conversation that you guys had in the cage afterwards. Uh, CM Punk talked about what he said. There was the video that came out. Um, Did any of that afterwards when you had the conversation in the cage, did any of that change your opinion on him? Um... Uh, I, I, I don't know. Uh, I, I appreciate that he was trying to, you know, be motivational and pass on uh, knowledge that he had learned that I, uh, may, like, have or haven't learned, I guess, yet. Um, you know, I, I didn't, I, I respected him, though. I never, I never didn't respect him. Even when he didn't shake my hand, I still had respect for him. Uh, you know, that, that just made me more excited to be able to, uh, fight him uh, it's not like I even needed any more excitement to be able to get in there and fight but when he did that I just I got suits up uh, you, they couldn't use the interview I did after because I was being a potty mouth there too just <laughs> I, get, I get excited man uh, but you know it was cool it's just it was just great feeling going through me like I wanted to fight right then uh, but I, you know I also knew I needed to just pull back and control that but it's just a nice nice rush of, rush of emotion and yeah no I you know I, I respect him I think he's I don't think he's a bad person uh, and I you know like I said, man, CM he although he didn't didn't do great out there, CM Punk's a real MMA fighter now. He sat in the back, took the walk. You know, it's a hard thing to do. Came out, came in the cage, ready to fight. So he he's an MMA fighter now. I think we all should respect him. Um, kind of tying into that, the respect issue, anyways. Uh, there was a famous moment from the Embedded series when it seemed like Alistair Overeem was telling you to send him packing. Uh, did a lot of UFC fighters reach out to you afterwards and be happy or were happy that you beat him to kind of um, validify his the argument that he didn't belong? Or is that kind of was that overplayed? Uh, no, not too many. Um but with that said, I, I did feel a strong obligation to, to set an example out there. Uh, you know, like I, I, I said, like, not just for myself and for my team, but like most of all for my sport. Just to show, you know, you can't come in here and do what we do. It takes blood, sweat, and tears, and it takes years. Uh, a lot of commitment, luck, all that stuff. Has to, it all has to work out um, to be able to go in there and, and do what we, what we love to do. So, you know, I felt an example to dominate every single second of that fight. Uh, 
and I, you know, I'm glad I was able to do so. And you talk about raising your profile, which you seem to be a master at doing with the thought process that goes into calling out fighters. Um, do you feel that now the next step is to legitimize yourself by fighting somebody other than CM Punk or uh, Mike Jackson even? Second of that fight. Uh, and I, you know, I'm glad I was able to do so. And uh, we talked. You there? Looks like we had a little bit of technical difficulties. Mm. Um, he's on the line? Okay. We'll just move on to the next question. And uh, your coach is known among the hardcore fans as one of the best jujitsu coaches, period. You've been training for nearly a decade. Uh, that being said, you think you can hang with anyone. Do fighters need to believe that they can compete with anyone? Or how do you feel, how good do you feel your jujitsu really, really is? My jujitsu is world class. Anyone gets in, into a jujitsu match with me uh, that, you know, they're in trouble. We hit the ground. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a. My, like my coach, David Ateev, uh, and I appreciate you saying that about him. I, I, I agree. We all know that, and uh, I'm glad that he's getting some exposure. Uh, you know, yeah, David Ateev, he's always said I'm, I'm a submission specialist. Uh, rear naked chokes seem to find themselves in the cage because you start punching someone, they start turning their back. But, uh, you know, I, you know I, I, can, I, can, I can tap people out with a, with a plethora of moves, and uh, you know, I, I, I like to do that. I, I love that. I'm, I'm you know, I, I like... My my jiu-jitsu, my jiu-jitsu is for real, so I, I'm looking forward to showing that, man. And I got to show my striking. I got a lot I want to prove. And uh, last question, because I know we're getting to the top of the hour, and you got to go. Uh, what do you love about MMA now, as opposed to when you were younger? Um. Well, yeah. Now, now I uh, I really love. Uh, it's all for me. Like I love being able to train every day with my buddies, and you know, go play war all day and punch each other, throw each other, wrestle each other, and then, you know, hurt each other and then laugh about it after and whatever. I like, but I, I, I love the fight night now. I really, I've learned to embrace the chaos, embrace the, the lights and the, the moments. And that, it's like, it's those peak moments. Um, it's it, it just, it's a peak moment. I, I won't feel the, the nervousness I felt sitting in the hotel um, the day before and the, and the excitement, the bottle of excitement, and when I'm walking out and I hear the crowd screaming and I'm looking around and I'm seeing everyone, people yelling, CM Punk at me, and people yelling, go Mickey, and it's just all that, like, it's, it's wonderful. And then getting in the cage and knowing I get to, I get to fight and do what I like to do. I, and that's, that's the bottom line, man. I like to fight. I like to get in there and, and throw my, you know, throw my violence at their violence and we'll see what happens. Well, we know you're uh, running to practice, so thank you so much for uh, taking the time out to talk to us during uh, your busy schedule. Hey, Mike, anytime you want to talk, bro, just let me know. All right. Mickey Gall, first guest ever on a live episode of the Extra Rounds podcast. It's a great guest to have, man. Um, so what do you think about what he said? Well, I like this kid. Uh, I, I like the way he fights. I, I really like the way he talks. He has, you know, he seems really humble and confident at the, uh, at the same time. And I love the last thing he just said, how... Now he he loves the fight night and all of that, everything that goes into it. That's a big statement. A lot of fighters enjoy the lifestyle, not having to punch a clock, being able to get up and train. The lifestyle is as, as rough as it can be when you get to end of training camp. The lifestyle is a good lifestyle. The stuff of the week of a fight, the nerves and the downright fear, a lot of fighters won't talk about that. But the fear on fight night for most is not enjoyable for most. I remember there's, there's a couple stories that come to mind. I remember Henzo Gracie in this documentary. I forget the name of the documentary, but he talks about 
being in a room backstage in, in Pride, back in the Pride FC days, they had a you know, joint locker room, and um, he said a bunch of tough guys like himself sitting around, and a lot, one guy said, like, oh, man, I wish I was home like with my girl. And then as soon as he said that, Henzo said, just remembered everyone else saying, oh, yeah, I wish I was you know, drinking a beer here, blah, 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 home. And Henzo said, you know, what are you guys talking about? I don't want to be anywhere else in the world right now but right here. But that's rare. Vitor Belfort, I remember a few years ago reading him saying that this is, Vitor Belfort is a guy that was fighting professionally since he was a teenager in the UFC and, and elsewhere, saying that he, I don't know if he still does it, but for like 15 years into his career, he would still vomit before every fight. Like the nerves of that are real and they're not fun. So the fact that Mickey Gall is saying he enjoys the fight night now, he enjoys the walk, the waiting, that says a lot. He's been put under a bright light very, very young. And if he's learned to adjust and, and, and operate with that, that's, that, that's going to make him even more dangerous because that's probably one of the few things that could, can trip up a kid like that. He has really good skills for his age. He's been training for a long time, and he moves really, really well on the ground. Um, and he goes to the body well with punches and stuff. He's got some other stuff, but he's a really, he's a really great ground fighter. But the fact that he is like right up here and he's enjoying the stuff that most fighters find really stressful and prohibitive, that, that's, that's very interesting to me. My, my favorite thing about him is just the thought process when it comes to looking at his career, seeing where he wants to go and the path to get there, yeah. which isn't always th- as simple as looking at the opponent put before you and accomplishing the task at hand. He's, creating the matchups for himself he's uh you know calling out cm punk helped get him into this into the um spotlight getting sage northcutt would be a fight that would also raise his profile you know these are calculated thoughts and you know he talks about he knew cm punk would be the only fighter in the ufc he could fight and it was his you know fast track like you know monopoly you get the you know go to go (laughs) right it's kind of like that like he knew that that was his opportunity to make the leap faster than if he just you know, grinded it out on the regional circuit. And then to see Sage Northcutt as the next opportunity is also brilliant because he's a new guy with a yeah. smaller record with some hype behind him. And it's, you know, not always just coming into the cage and demanding the, you know, Conor McGregor fight. You know, everybody's calling out Conor McGregor. Yeah. You, you're not going to get that fight. But this is a, a matchup that could happen feasibly. Like if he was like, I want to fight Conor McGregor, it would have been like... Good for you. you no, know, but like, every, so does it get in the line? Yeah. Uh, which Conor McGregor would have just loved even more. But like, you know, who's calling out Sage Northcutt? Nobody, but he right. is because he sees the opportunity that's there and he thinks differently. He's um, a really, really, really bright it. tactical kid. Yeah. Um, anyways, I'm getting the signal that our next guest, your friend Jason Perillo, is on the line. So right. let's uh, let's patch him through and get started there. Jason, I'm glad. Thanks for being on the X Rounds podcast with, with me and Mike. Uh, re- really excited. I think this is a guy, uh, you're a guy that, that you've got a pretty crazy schedule. You're um, going to Brazil this week to corner Cyborg um, Justino, who's a featherweight world champion in, in the women's division. Um, after that, you'll, next month you'll be going to Manchester, cornering your fighter, Michael Bisming, middleweight champion. Then I think right after that, you're going to be going straight to the Philippines, the corner of BJ Penn, who you've worked with for years. Uh, I'm glad that you're finally getting your due a bit. Uh, for those that don't know, obviously, we mentioned a few of these people. Jason's the current coach of middleweight champion Michael Bisbing, featherweight champion Cyborg Justino, coaches BJ Penn, coach BJ Penn when he was light, during his lightweight uh, title reign of terror. He's also worked for years 
with uh, other former champions like Tito Ortiz, still works with him, and, and Vitor Belfort. Um, so just a, a really, uh, really accomplished dude. I want to skip past the UFC stuff for a moment, even though that's uh, heavy on your schedule, Jason. Uh, a, a friend of yours, a longtime uh, fighter of yours, Tito Ortiz, just recently got called out by new Bellator signee, Chael Sonnen, the form, former middle, two-time middleweight title challenger. Um, is that something you guys have talked about? Is that, what, what do you think of that fight, potentially? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, Tito actually let me know about it. He, he, uh, we, we didn't talk. We, we exchanged texts about it the other day, uh, two days, a couple days ago. Um, <clears throat> I love it. I think it's a great fight for Tito. Um, Tito's... You know, you know, he's, he's, you know, Tito's got a couple fights left there. And, I mean, you know, he's, he's coming in his forties, and, and Chael's, a, you know, an older fighter himself. And I, it, it, it's a great fight for the fans. I think. I mean, there's gonna be a lot of shit talking. Nobody, nobody, uh, nobody goes into a fight with Chael Sonnen doesn't get some type of verbal lashing, and Tito has the ability to get some verbal lashing back. So, I think it'll be a fun fight. You know, uh, you know. Tito fortunately got his world title shot, you know, even at the age of forty, and you know now he's now he's fighting the fight, and, and Chael Soto makes a perfect opponent, I think. It definitely is a, a a fun fight, and it's it's cool to know that right off the bat, you and and Tito had already at least been discussing it or over text a little bit. I, I know, I know, I know. Tito's down for it. I mean, I'm down. For, I mean, it's a, I think it's a good fight for for both guys. Um, it, it, it's it's an entertaining fight, you know. Might as well put you know an entertaining fight out there for Tito because Tito draws a lot of a lot of fans. You know, regard you know he is a little older, but he, he still is, is one of you know Bellator's biggest draw. So, and, and Chael and Chael Stone is a perfect opponent for everybody to come watch fight. The your next fight, of course, is is in the corner of uh, Chris Cyborg Justino, who's fighting in the UFC now for the second time. He's a longtime featherweight world champion. The UFC doesn't have currently have a women's featherweight title. Mike and I were talking about this earlier. I know you have been very vocal about the, the need for the UFC to have a featherweight division, not just for Chris, but for the rest of the women there. It, the do, documentary that was made about Chris's, uh, the lead-up to Chris's first UFC fight in the spring uh, has been released, and one of the more notable things about it is just the, the brutal extremely scary and dangerous looking weight cut that that she made um th- this week they've started to on and uh, every every night at seven on on uh, cyborg's facebook page they have a short uh, mini doc uh episode uh of this particular fight week coming up uh for the the ufc fight night in brasilia and already the the biggest thing the biggest topic in and those episodes so far i think there's been two has been her weight She's in great shape, but she's still a lot heavier than the 140 pounds at catch weight that she needs to make. Is this weight cut, uh, Jason, been and going to be any less brutal than the very scary one uh, we saw uh, last time? It, 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 it's a brutal process, and like you said, you, you know, you get to know that when you saw her at that, you know, she might have, she probably. I don't know how far off she was from a fight last time we saw each other when you're down here, but you know she looks like she's in great shape at 165. <laughs> you know, like great shape. You know, she's toned. Uh, you know, her weight cuts are brutal. They're as bad as any any weight cuts I've ever seen. Um, they're a, you know, and hell of a lot more emotional than most weight cuts. Um, you know, it, it's a scary thing. I think you, know, you, you think about pain. You know, she goes through a lot of suffering to get to that weight. 
cut. You know, what happens is <clears throat> you do it, you go to the fight, and you celebrate the win, and a couple weeks go by, and you forget about that pain, you forget about that suffering, and how brutal it was, and how how you were, you know, you're, you're, you're flirting with death almost, it feels like, you know, she, she, she uh, you know, she, it, it's a, it could be a real shit show, you know, because we get, a, you know, she's, she's suffering to get down to that weight, and, and she's doing it again, and, and she'll do it. She's going to do it because she makes she'll she'll sag and she'll like I've always said about Chris. She'll cut off her arm. She has to make weight. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's a brutal thing, you know. And it's unfortunate that uh, again that that weight class is there for her because it was always such a brutal weight cut for her to get to one forty five. I mean, it was really no different. Now now the difference is is that extra five pounds now, and that that becomes you know an extra agony in the in the whole cut. But. Um, you know, I, that question's been asked me so many times about the weight, and I know I've talked to you, you know, uh, on an interview and also off off an interview, and it's not something I've ever been a really big fan of. I mean, but, you know, our hands are tied almost, and, and um, she wants to fight for the UFC because she knows it's a big stage, you know, who doesn't want to fight for the UFC, you know, and unfortunately that weight class isn't there for her, and uh, so she, she makes the sacrifice, uh, so she can fight on that main stage, so all the all, all her fans that, that that love her and want to see her fight can see her fight on that main stage. And she sacrifices for them, really. You know, she does. I mean, she sacrifices for you know just for what every fighter sacrifices. They want the bigger paydays and they want the main main stage and, and they want the world titles on the main stage. You know, and, and, and she keeps making the sacrifice. Hopefully. Hoping, I, I think on our side, we're hoping that the door ends up that, that she shows that she draws enough enough people and enough fans and enough money to uh, considering opening up a 145 pound division. You know that that's really what our side, you know, what her side, you know, is hoping for. You know, we'll see what happens. Yeah, I mean, Mike and I were talking about this before. I mean, clearly from our perspective, um, just looking at like metrics uh, uh, we see with web traffic. You know, Cyborg is already uh, a main attraction, and it's just so weird that <laughs> that it's still kind of being evaluated. Uh, and like the idea that oh well, they wouldn't what watch her if she weighed in five pounds heavier. Like that that just makes no sense. Like clearly, Jason, we need the women. The UFC needs a women's featherweight division. I think what they're what they're thinking too, from what I understand, is is, is I know that a big excuse was there's not enough women in that division, which, you know, I, I feel there is, you know, I mean, the 140, there's not, you know, it's, there is women in that division, there's actually bigger women that can come down to 140, it, it really creates a lot of opportunities for a lot more competition, really, open in that division, I believe, you know, th- there are girls out there, there are girls out there that probably can compete with Chris, you know, and they're going to be a little bigger, you know, these, these, these ones that, that are, that are, that are, making it, you know, stepping up from 135 to 140 to, to fight her. You know, there's other ones that can come down from a higher weight class than yep. 145. I mean, there's, <clears throat> there's a division that, that, that I, I think would grow. Um, I, I, I'm not the promoter. I, I, I have no choice or no say in the whole matter, but um, I, I believe there is. I don't know what's stopping it from happening, to be totally honest, but it is what it is. And uh, only time will tell what, it, what ends up happening. For the most part, Jason, when, whenever Cyborg just, you know, fights, which has a fight coming up, you know, to be honest, most of the world assumes she's going she's gonna to win. Uh, and the, so the talk is about her, about 
how old she's going to win, how quickly she's going to win. You know, that's just us as observers. That's fans. As a coach, uh, working in a fighter's training camp, helping uh, design that camp and get sparring partners and all that, uh, how much do you really work on stuff specifically for Chris's opponents? Is it, is, it, is it a lot focused on the particular matchups, or is it really more about her own improvement and maximizing um, her own qualities? I do. I do, um, you know, with Chris, um, with Chris, you know, she has a, you know, we got a lot of, a lot of different guys helping her, so, um, and I think she, she likes to stay busy all day long, she, she trains three, four times a day, this girl, I mean, she's intense, you know, so, um, you know, obviously, depending on what we're looking at, if we're looking at a girl that looks like, you know, has more of a grappling style, obviously, we make adjustments at camp, and it, it's always bringing in the right sparring partners, really, you know, making it, make it, giving her the right look of what she's going to be in front of, you know, um, again, she's always so dominant, you know, I, I just look at it. I looked at odds earlier today, and it said if you bet a hundred dollars on uh, Lena, you can win a whopping eight dollars and thirty-three cents. You know, so you know, we're, 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 it's not that we 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 overestimate anybody. Chris takes on every. Chris is looking at Lena like she's taking on, you know, the world champion. That's how Chris looks at every part that she's fighting. You know, she really does take everyone serious. I've never seen her not take the girl serious. <clears throat> she trains as if she's uh, the 10 to 1 underdog. She really does. You know, so, you know, as far as breaking down their opponents, you know, we, we, we do look at their strengths. And, and, and sometimes, um, you know, Chris is, is really at, you know, at such a level. I mean, she really, she beats up guys in the gym, and, and people say that about a lot of girls and this and that, but uh, she really does. And she she's beating up guys that, that beat up other guys. You know, she's not beating up the guy that loses to just girls. You know what I mean? She's beating up guys that beat up guys. You know, and, and, and they, of course, we break down our opponents if they got their, you know, depending on the style, like I said, we make the adjustments. For me as a coach, I always make sure I try to grab the sparring partners that uh, that that have the similar body mechanics and body movements and strengths of the opponents that uh, my fighters are, are fighting. And uh, so we, you know, pretty much do the same thing with Chris. You know, we take every one of her opponents serious, and uh, she takes them serious. And, and, and it's always a very very intense camp with Chris. We were just talking, Jason, with, with Mickey Gall, uh, you know, UFC newcomer and young fighter, and he's talked about really enjoying his life as a fighter and, and some of the more stressful parts. <laughs> and, uh, you know, fighters, a lot of times they choose this life because they, they like the lifestyle. Um, but in, you know, the, the last weeks, or in a training camp overall, especially in someone like Chris Cyborg's training camp, which she has to lose so much weight, do you sense any enjoyment um, leading up to the fight in her and this, you know, her training three or four times a, a week and, and dropping so much weight, or is it just just a grind and, and kind of miserable uh, given how much weight she has to drop? She, she, she's no different than any other fighter, and I'm going to be honest with you, I don't think there's a whole lot of fighters that enjoy it. You know, I, I always talk to all my fighters about the last two weeks, you know, and, and when it comes down to the last couple of weeks, you know, even three, four for some of these fighters that got to cut weight like Chris does, you know, it's grueling, it's, it's sacrifice, it's, it's suffering. I mean, it, it, of course, they, you know, fortunately for Chris, she's had and she's repped, she's reaped the rewards. You know, she knows what it's, 
what happens at the end of it. She knows what it feels like to victory. She knows what the high of the of the sacrifice is. You know, so you know she 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 knows. You know, is she suffering? Is she enjoying her? Is she enjoying herself right now? You know, she's probably staying positive. I, um, but you know, that's also a job of a coach to, uh, you know, you know, not make them have fun, but you know, remind them of the positive things and, and remind them of, of what the outcome does bring. You know, and, and <clears throat> that, that's what burns fighters out now, doesn't it, Elias? Yeah. You know, I mean, like. You know, that's what the, you know. That's what doesn't, and, that, and that's what worries me sometimes. And even someone like Chris, and because I got fighters, you know, we got Michael Bisbings, and you know, look at Tito Ortiz. He's 44, 40, You know, these ten. These guys are, you know, ten years older than Chris. You know, Mike's not. Mike's a little younger than that, obviously. And you know, BJ and all these other guys. But <clears throat> you know, that that's what you know. Where she's grinding, doing three, four trains a day. She's got, you know. A dozen coaches she's listening to, you know, I mean, there's a lot of things going on and, and the pressure and, and the whole nine yards. And, you know, that's why, you know, what she does in, in between uh, fights, and, and fortunately she's been smart enough to take the vacations in between and, and really relax and, you know, add to her life outside the fighting game as far as, you know, so she bought a home and, you know, just really settling herself in, she, you know, she got her, you know, citizenship in America, and, you know, She's taking care of life outside of fighting at the same time, which is a smart thing to do because, you know, of course, it's not enjoyable. It's not an enjoyable thing when, when you're leading up to the fight. It's, it's cruel. It's cruel for all of us. It's cruel for the coaches as well, you know, because we care about the outcome and we care about what the sacrifices fighters are doing. And, and uh, you know, with all that being said, you know, that's what you worry about too as far as foreign fighters out, you know. It's it's a tough racket. And Chris is still young, and she's got a lot of years left in her, you know. So, and that's where we can go back to 145. And that's what's so important about having a better division for her, also at the same time, because again, it's grueling, and that could be part of the process. You know, we, you know, anybody can, you know, you can you can burn anybody out, you know, if if you make them go through too much grueling bullshit. Jason, I want to talk about. For a little bit, BJ Penn, uh, someone you've worked with for, geez, over a decade probably. Uh, someone that I saw a recent uh, Instagram post of yours um, with you and him at the Ruka Gym over there in Costa Mesa in Southern California. You, you you credited BJ for, you know, making that gym possible, which is which is your gym now where you you operate and and, and do all your training out of. The last time BJ Penn now is going to be fighting again in uh, November, I believe, right? Um, or in the Philippines for sure. He's, he's, it's his second comeback, at least, uh, out of retirement. He's former two-division champion. The last time BJ came back and fought, Jason, you were in his corner, but you didn't do any work with him prior. And this is something you and I have talked about offline uh, a bit and the difficulty there. How much have you worked with BJ now that he's coming back again? Yeah, okay, yeah. Well, uh, he's been out here for the last couple of weeks. Um, wanted to come out here and, and, and obviously see if we could tighten up some fundamentals and you know really get his mind right um, you know I was with BJ like you said back when he was lightweight champion and, and we had a lot of great wins and we had some some big losses together at the same time but uh you know we had a we had a relationship and, and, and he and like you said he trusts me so he's he's you know he's calling me up he, you know whether I've been working with her or not over the years you know you know he, he contacts me before his fights and 
you know, and we talk, you know, as you've been out here, we've been trained a little bit, which I need, you know, like I told him, I mean, I, I need to, I need to see him. I need to be in front of him, you know, if I'm going to go, you know, support him in his fights because, you know, I want to know where he's at and what he's doing and know that he, he should be there. You know, the, the BJ Penn that I've been seeing for the last couple of weeks is, is, is looking like a hungry BJ Penn, which is, I've always said is, is scary BJ Penn, you know, and, um, we got a uh, we got a we got our last day and we're gonna have our last day in tomorrow morning. We got some big spar tomorrow morning. Um, we're gonna we're gonna put him in fifth gear tomorrow. See how he looks. He's still got a month left before his fight, so he's got plenty of time. But I myself are, are going to be leaving, and uh, he'll be flying out to Albuquerque to Jackson's gym. They'll be finishing up camp there. So you know, I, I'm confident with that. I you know. If, if, if I knew that he, you know, I was going to leave town and he was going to go to, uh, you know, even just back to Hilo and, and, and kind of focus on doing things himself, you know, I, I'd definitely be worried and, and nervous about the situation. But I think he's in good hands over there in, in Albuquerque, and I know he's got a lot of, lot of, lot of, lot of talent around him, <clears throat> so that'll help him, uh, you know, keep him in the right mind frame and keep him competitive and keeping him wanting to win a fight, you know. We, you know, BJ's always been the guy that, you know, BJ is a Mr. Athlete guy. BJ's always been a, a real down, down-to-earth fighter, man. That's just what he is. And <clears throat> physically, he looks like he, you know, physically he has a capability. I know he does. He's got the strength. His reflexes are there. His legs are there. You know, and most importantly, his mind seems to be there right now for this fight. And, um, you know, I, I, I'm, you know, We'll, we'll see how it goes. I, I, I'm very confident. I'm, I, I spent some, you know, I want to, for me, I, I, it's not a control thing. It's just, I want to be there the whole time. I want to know from point A to point fucking Z. You know, I, I'm fortunately comfortable with the fact that I know that between, you know, the middle of the alphabet and Z, he's going to be out in good hands. So, you know, and, 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 and his condition will step up to another level out there in Albuquerque with the altitude and, and whatnot. You know, I'm excited for BJ. You know, he, we've had such a long history, and uh, we've again we've had some ups and downs. So, you know, it's always a stressful thing for me when I work with BJ because I do care about the guy a lot, and, and you know, he's a big part of what catapulted me into MMA. So, you know, every time he fights, whether I'm in the corner, not in the corner, trained him or didn't train him, you know, I, it's always really important for uh, for me that he does well. Jason, I want to ask you kind of a more technical question uh, about BJ Penn, uh, and it connects to his uh, getting older. So it's always, it's it's usually more difficult for lighter weight fighters to age. Their, the divisions are usually faster; they're more reliant on and, and reflexes. Um, and so when 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 speed goes with age, because it does. Um, when reflexes go with age, because they do, as opposed to things like raw power a lot of times, um, you know, these lighter weight fighters start to get hit more, um, and, and there's concern about that. With BJ Penn in particular, I, now, I, I'm interested in your take, like, correct me if I'm wrong, I've always thought that he was, like, a, striking-wise, a, a flat-footed counter-striker. For certain, he had good offense, but he was largely a counter-striker that would stalk his opponents and really relied on his reflexes and speed to be effective. 
Now, over, over the years, in recent years, as he gets older, certainly his skills are probably greater than ever. His knowledge is probably better than ever, but he, like everyone else, ages. He's starting to get hit more and more in his fights, and that's what concerns me as, frankly, a, not just an observer, but a real fan of BJ Penn. Like, I don't have any relationship with BJ Penn. He's always been one of my favorite fighters to watch. I don't like seeing guys stick around longer um, than they should, perhaps, and... When I see a, a, a flat-footed counter-striker who's relied on his reflexes and speed starting to get hit more as he gets older and that speed goes away, it, it makes me worry. So one, is it true, like the characterization of like BJ's like as a counter-striker, is that true? And, and is his, his aging and maybe losing some of that reflex and speed like everyone does, is that something he's had to uh, adjust to and has adjusted to from what you've seen so far in, in this camp? I mean, you know, the human body is the human body, and then, like you said, the, the low, the, you'll see heavyweights peak a little bit, in, you know, later in life because of the, the amount of <coughs> reflexes and speed <coughs> and whatnot that, that, that the smaller guys, us small, I should say, us smaller guys, <laughs> got to count on. Um, and, and you're absolutely right. Um, you know, and, and you know, we look at me. You know, I, you know, I. Because I know BJ so well and his career so well, I mean, you know, he's uh, the choice. You know, the situation he's been put in, the choice that he's made in his training camps and whatnot. You know, definitely, I think it's affected him. You know, in, in a lot of these fights, um, when we could look back, and when I first met BJ, went back, went back. Well, I met him many years ago, but when I when I was working with him back 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 in the day. BJ never was the. BJ had a timing to him too. At the same time, you gotta understand what beat speed is timing, and BJ had an aggressiveness and an attitude to him, and and that's what I'm trying to try to BJ Penn because really, I I used to say it about BJ all the time, and you know people, you know, you know, I even had hear commenters say what a great athlete he is. BJ Penn's not an athlete. You throw BJ Penn a basketball. He won't be able to dribble. You throw him the football, he's going to miss it. You throw him the baseball, you think somebody's throwing it with their left hand. You know what I mean? No disrespect to him, even if he hears this. I love him to death, and he knows that. I'll say this to his face because I love him. But you tell him to go fuck himself, and you put your hands up to him, he's going to kick your fucking ass. You know what I mean? That's what made B.J. Penn so fun to watch, and that's what made B.J. Penn the prodigy, and that's what everybody loved about B.J. Penn was. And that's the, way, that's the reason why he's a legend. That's why... He's going to be remembered is because he'll take on all comers. BJ's fluctuated from heavyweight to now he's at one forty-five, which is a whole world difference. Um, but what you're saying is absolutely right. Is his reflex going to be slow that night? Is he is his timing going to be off? Is he going to be rusty? He's had two or three years off now, which makes it even worse for for a smaller weight fighter. You know, BJ late speed. Yeah, you know. If we think about it, you know, he, 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 what do you what anybody from Diego Sanchez to Kenny Floyd to Sean Shirk, you know, you know, he wasn't out speeding these guys. You know, he, he was countering them. You're right. He was he was definitely hurting right off the block, and, and, and which which built great momentum for his fight, and, and he overwhelmed him, and he dominated the fights. Um, but uh, one thing I think BJ has going in going bank right now is, is he's got a tremendous amount of experience and it's been a lot of negative experience over the last you know few years and uh he's a smart guy and uh he, and he and, and there's a there's a hunger to him 
guy that he wants to be, he'll be that guy. It, 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 it sounds, you know, we can, and, and that's part of mentally trying to get a guy prepared for the fight. But my, but I see him in the in the gym with kids, with speed and power and, and, and all the reflexes in the world, and, and, and he's right there with them. So for me, it's always, and I always talk about it, BJ's a different fighter than anybody I've ever worked with because it's such a mental game with BJ, and it's a mental game with everybody, but it's almost... It's, it's almost another magnitude with this guy. You know, it's a whole different animal. You know, BJ's the type of guy that, you know, people in the MMA game, people that go into BJ Penn's training camp, people that know and work with BJ, they go, what the fuck is going on? What's going like? You know, they'll, they'll see BJ decide to take a week off in the middle of training camp, and you're going, what the fuck's going on? And this is something that BJ has always done, and, you know, it's worked for him, and it's hurt him, too, at the same time. Um, I think where he's at right now is he's willing to make the sacrifice. Really, for me, I put a lot of you know I, I, I you know I hope and he goes out with the right attitude out to Albuquerque for the next month and really you know lays down the law you know lets everybody know who he is and, and, and performs in the gym because <clears throat> the guy's not performing in the gym and the guy's not showing up and, and coaches are watching him and just rooting him. And, trying to encourage them to get in their win, but really in the back of your mind, they don't believe it's going to happen. You know, you're only hurting the fighter and nobody's wasting their time. You know, and, and, and uh, BJ, I believe, you know, wants to win this fight. I know he has the ability and the capability to do it. And, uh, you know, we put the right attitude in the kid. I think he's going to go out there and, and, and finish his career the way he, he needs to finish his career. You know, BJ really, uh, you know, has to go out on his own terms. He knows that wasn't himself in his last couple of fights. He knows that he's, he's he's really, you know, he's just, he, there's a guy that got burned out. You know, we talked earlier in this interview about, you know, Chris Cyborg and how she felt, you know. You know people don't realize it about BJ Penn. It's he was training year, year round. Like, he's a, the biggest problem with BJ is him getting in shape, you know, and, and that's not necessarily the truth because BJ's always training. That's all he ever does. And that's all he ever, you know, that's what he, that's what he does. That's just what he does. He trains. You know, he's always training, he's always thinking about fighting, he's always talking about fighting. It's just it's just embedded into him. You know, so you know, win, lose or draw, I, I got confidence in my fighter that he can win a, that he's gonna win this fight. You know, but win, lose or draw, BJ Penn needs to go out there and finish it on his own terms and he's gotta go out there and fight a fight that he knows. But that fight he had with Frankie's last fight was bullshit. Uh, not bullshit on Frankie's part. God bless Frankie. Frankie went out there and, and did what he was supposed to do. You know, but uh, the guy that I saw in that cage wasn't the BJ Penn that I used to train. wasn't the guy that I knew. wasn't my, you know, it, it just it was it was a guy that 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 you know, the guy that just wasn't there. You know, and, and he has a type of fortitude, a type of mindset that wants to reverse that. And if he puts it in his head and he wants to do it, he's going to do it. You know, and it, it sounds ignorant. It sounds like uh, cheerleading bullshit. But really, at the end of the day, there's a lot of truth to that. You know, and, and, and that's the reason why we love watching BJ Penn fights because, you know, that comes out under the lights. You see that. You see something that, you know, we don't have. You know, somebody that's got, a, that's got something special. You know, and, and somebody that... that, that got there mentally got there and uh <clears throat> i don't know if i'm making any sense to you right now no you definitely are i mean and that's very valuable stuff there are a few people jason who have worked with someone for as long as you have with bj and, and we'll talk honestly about it 
topic for you jason uh you talked a little bit earlier about michael bisming want to stay on that uh mike bisming now clearly i think is going to become a hall of famer maybe he would have already been there if he hadn't become world champion he is world champion now his next fight is against dan henderson it's a rematch so go back the july 2009 michael bisming goes into the cage against dan henderson he is, is looks really nervous he keeps circling to the right he gets knocked out we're going to go into October 2016. Mike Bisping is going to go in the cage against Dan Henderson again. What, uh, how has Bisping technically um, changed since 2009 before you, before you I think, even had, uh, started working with him? And how has Dan Henderson changed since that first fight uh, seven years ago, almost, or more than seven years ago? Um, <clears throat> I don't think Dan Henderson's changed very much. I think his, his style is kind of that, that that style he's got. You know, he's a, 
a double tough son of a bitch with a ton of power and, and will fight you until he's dead. You know, that's always a tough guy to stand in front of with. I don't care, you know, how old he is, you know, but he's a, he's a you know, that's his style change a little bit. <laughs> you know, I, you know, I've watched a lot of his fights, obviously, you know, I'm like, start fighting him, but, yeah, I mean, here and there, sure. But what's most important to me is how Mike's, Mike's fighting and how Mike, Mike's style, you ask him technically, has he changed? Sure, he's sharpened up quite a bit over the years, I believe. Does he know that he was being, you know, he was moving to the left or he's moving towards circling? Or is he circling the left the whole time? I got drilled. Yeah. Hand, so. But it's funny because me and Mike both watched that fight. I think we watched it two days apart a couple weeks ago. And, you know, you know he's cringing when he watched because I saw, I, again, you got to understand, I don't go back and watch all Mike's fights before I trained him. I, you know, maybe that's something I eat. I look at the guy that I have in front of me and then I try to I try to make adjustments in his physical capability and his technical game and his mental game once they're in front of me and I get to know him. But um, when I went back and watched that fight, I went, holy shit, who is this guy? You know, he was fighting, he was fighting very skittish. He was fighting... Um, you know, he's obviously moving his left. He's fighting. He's pulling his head way up in the air. He's, he, you know, he, he's, he's punching. He's, he's out before he's even in. You know, he he wasn't settled on his feet at all. He wasn't settled mentally at all for that fight. And physically, he just looked drained. If you ask me, he, he, you know, I, I don't know what he did to himself for that fight, but you know, his body even just looked like it was. I think he told me he was at 190 when he walked in the cage for that fight, which. You know, he's never fought at 190 in his life. <clears throat> you know, <clears throat> but uh, I, you gotta forgive me if I, if I lost my voice, man. I've been, I've been, I've been nonstop. So my voice, forgive me if you don't. No, no, no worries. And this is the, this is the last question. <laughs> so thanks, Jason. No, but I, I, I'd rather give you some type of thorough answer though, because I, you know. I, and, and, I, and I and I try to answer the question. I, you know, you know, I try to answer the question you're you're asking me. I know you want some technical, some technical gains. You know, and do I think Mike's is sitting down more on his shots and, and, and reacting better in a defensive manner? For sure, he's putting his hands in a much better spot. He's 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 reading his timing. His opponents a lot better. You know, he knows what he's looking at. He knows where he's going a lot better. Um, I, I feel I've helped make him make adjustments with that and, and just, you know, just understanding, you know, just his, all his movement in general, you know, they, they talk about movement training and all that, whatever they talk about, you know, that's what we've been doing for a lot of years is just working on proper movement and, knowing, and positioning, meaning know, knowing where you're at when you're on your feet and you're fighting. And uh, I think he's come a long way with that. Uh, it, it showed up in some of these high-level fights and, and obviously him being a world champion, you know, shows that he's, you know, technically at a high level. Um, but, and, and, you know, you don't want me to go to it, but, it, but mentally he's in another place. And I think that's a big part, a big part of it, especially going to this fight with Dan, because I, I think he looked, to me in that fight, he looked a little intimidated at Dan in their first fight, you know, and, and, and he had a lot of experience and he had been in there with big fighters. He had fought at 205 prior and, um, you know, you know, he had a lot of competition before that fight, but, you know, since that fight, he's had a tremendous amount of comp- competition, high-level competition. He's been in there, he's had balls, he's been in that, you know, in those fights. Um, but, but he's turned around, you know, and, and, and he just 
place. And there's not going to be any intimidation of Dan Henderson in that fight. You know, in, in, in test, you know, he's going to be sound. He's going to be moving the right way, and he's going to be making pay and making Dan pay all night. That's awesome. We'll let we'll let Jason go now. Jason, thanks so much for for taking all that time. I mean, this this is just like like <laughs> maybe more than a lot of coaches, at least for the next few months. This is like the guy to be talking to. He's got Cyborg this week. He's got Mike Bisbing next month, and then he's got immediately after that he's got BJ Penn again. It's just it's a busy, busy dude um, working with a lot of, of really interesting fighters, and has a really unique approach too. It makes you kind of worry. Well, I don't want to say worried, but like, how does he juggle it all, and how does he make it work? Oh, it's you extremely. I mean? It's got to be hard. Um, but great stuff. We got Eddie Rabo on the line, so I don't want to keep him waiting for too long. But the one thing that stood out to me was him saying that Michael Bisping's knocking people out in practice. Yeah, oh, yeah, totally. My ears like, perked up there for yeah. sure. Look out, Dan. Yeah, um, yeah. So that's that's uh, that's really interesting to me, and maybe even drums up the interest in two hundred four even more than it already was. I, I think so. I think that'll that'll be some headlines. Michael Bisping knocked out two guys in training last week. That's always a big deal, right? That's always a, in boxing camps. A lot of times, those those leaks come through, those news come through. Hey, Manny Pacquiao went through four guys this month, like. That type of stuff really matters, especially for a guy like Mike Bisping, where, again, we're assuming he's fighting someone who has a huge power advantage, and Bisping himself has never gotten much credit until recently for, for having punching power. But clearly he's, got, he's putting it together. Well, let's uh, bring Eddie Bravo onto the line. Yeah, um, Eddie Bravo, uh, black belt, uh, head, head of uh, 10th Planet Jiu-Jitsu, and the founder and the showrunner for Eddie Bravo Invitational, which is... Uh, has these awesome other events on uh, UFC Fight Pass. Eddie, thanks for making time with us. How are you, man? Hey, I'm good. How you doing? Doing well, doing well. Um, excited to talk with you. We know you're on the uh, on the road a little bit. Um, wanted to jump in first to the concept of the Eddie Bravo Invitational. You just had an event, the EBI 8. You've got an event in November, um, EBI 9. I want to talk about what's coming specifically, but you, you did shows before. You've been an instructor for a while. You've trained for a very, very long time, even before that. Um, talk a little bit about the, the very particular and uh, unique philosophy and rule set for, for EBI, because it's different than, than what most people have seen out of jiu-jitsu or submission grappling tournaments. Jiu-jitsu tournaments have always been decided by points. It's always been, uh, there's always been a point system in, in, in competitive jiu-jitsu tournaments. And, uh, and unless there was a submission, uh, matches were, were decided not really on, on, on the submission at all, but, but by positions. And, which is a great thing, you know, because when the point, the point tournament scene uh, forces you to not give up any bad any positions at all and it forces you to focus on positions you don't even have to focus on submissions at all to win point tournaments you could just it's a, it's a positional game and the submissions are just extra it's, it's like judo again like judo there are submissions in judo but they're so not important the most important thing in winning a judo championship is is that initial that initial front line it's 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 the throwing, it, which is way, way, way before uh, the submission um, is in sight. It's, it's all about throwing and, and position and not getting thrown. Throwing and not getting thrown. So it has nothing to do with the submission. Uh, and, and 
I, I just, I wanted to create a tournament that was based on submissions, like making that the most important thing. That's really where, where it all came from. And, and, and when you have tournaments that are based on points, it's not fan-friendly at all. There's never been big audiences at uh, any jiu-jitsu tournaments that were based on points. It's just not fan-friendly at all. It's really boring when it's about gaining a position and holding that position, especially when you add um, advantages, which are like uh, sub-points. It's, um, it's, it's really just not exciting at all. And people fall in love with jiu-jitsu at the dojo when they train, and there's never any points. In, in, in jiu-jitsu class, it's always about the submission. And uh, I just thought, man, there's just got to be some kind of format where uh, it, it, the focus is the, the submission, the best part of jiu-jitsu. You know, when you think about jiu-jitsu, the essence of jiu-jitsu, it's rear naked chokes and arm bars. That is what jiu-jitsu really, if you had to, if you had to break it down and, uh, into a nutshell, Jiu-jitsu is about trying to choke someone out or trying to put them in a in a uh, an arm bar. It's not um, like if you saw a picture of a guy doing a rear naked choke, you would think, "Oh, jiu-jitsu." If you saw a picture of a guy doing an arm bar, uh, it's jiu-jitsu. That could be a poster of jiu-jitsu. Automatically, you just know it's jiu-jitsu. But if you see a picture of someone um, uh, passing the guard, you would that is. If you saw someone set, you know, sweeping someone, although it's a beautiful technique and very important with jiu-jitsu, it's not the essence of jiu-jitsu. So uh, it, it was a combination of a couple things, trying to put together a tournament that was fan-friendly and that could be on TV and that could be huge. Um, and the only way to do that is you've got to really focus on the submissions. And, and, and uh, basically that's it. Is that submission hunting philosophy, Eddie, something that, you were taught in the academy going all the way back to, to training with, with your instructor, John Jacques Machado? I think, every, I think every school likes to say that. I think everybody likes to say that. You know, oh, we, we go for submissions. We're not about points. I don't think anybody ever says, you know, we're about points. Or, <laughs> I, I, I think everyone, you ask anybody, they're going to say, yeah, I'm, all, I'm always going for submissions. It's always about submissions. But when you uh, look at these these tournaments that there've been big tournaments, uh, like big events, jujitsu events that have tried to make that run of getting on TV and, you know, doing the pay-per-view thing like, uh, Meta Morris or uh, Polaris or, uh, even back in the day, uh, PSL is professional submission league. That was really the first type of Meta Morris and, and Dixon even had a show called Bushido. Uh, there's been these, 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 um, you know, uh, jujitsu shows with a, with like a UFC, but it's it's jujitsu. It's and they've all failed. All of them. no, even to this day, to this day, even like EBI is financially successful. There's been no show. Every show's losing money. We're you know we're, we're surviving. We're trying to break even. You know, and and Meta Morris is on the brink of just collapse, and and it's it's. Because the the point system has made competitive jujitsu just so boring that even jujitsu competitors don't want to watch. Even 
black belts don't even want to watch. I mean, barely. It's such a small, tiny audience compared to the amount of people that actually do jujitsu. A whole shitload of people do jujitsu, hundreds of thousands, but no one's watching it because watching it is boring unless it's one of your teammates. You know, you don't want to watch someone else do it. You know, there are there are exceptions. There are guys that make the point system exciting, like Hoffa Mendez and uh, Marcelo Garcia and Cron Gracie, guys that legitimately try to finish the fight. There are, but there's so few and far in between. It's more important to win that championship than to try to be the submission master in a points game. So um, overall, I would say, you know, 80% of points matches are not entertaining, and 20% of them are exciting. I would say that. I, I think that's even, uh, um, that's been conservative. But uh, my, my, my quest was to reverse those numbers. You know, you can never get, you can never make a jiu-jitsu format or a jiu-jitsu event 100% exciting. It just, it wouldn't happen after a while. It wouldn't be exciting. It was 100% exciting. It's just impossible. But to make it, to make it 70% exciting and 30% boring, I think is a, a gigantic improvement and enough of an improvement to, to, to appeal to the masses. In my opinion, and that's what we're trying to do. Trying to get, trying to get seventy percent exciting matches. There's no way you're going to get a hundred. There's going to be some boring matches, but just try to reverse the numbers a little bit and try to put jujitsu into the mainstream where it's supposed to be. I mean, you got dog frisbee on ESPN, and you got you know volleyball and, and, and soft college softball on ESPN. It doesn't make any sense. That jujitsu should be um, on TV. It should be. Um, uh, on a major network, like it's it's just got to be done right. So that that actually led into my. I was going to wonder if dog frisbee was ever going to make its way into EBI, but I guess not. Eddie, I know you just had EBI eight. You got EBI nine coming up. Uh, I I was looking on the internet a couple of days ago, and I see at least one big change in that uh, in that lineup for that card. Talk about the 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 tournament. Um, anything you want the fans to know about EBI nine coming up in November? Well, EBI is. Like I said, it's, it's based on submissions. It's a whole different format. It's a whole different sport than the point game. You know, if, if you want uh, to, like, if you, you want to win a championship in the point game, your training camp is going to look way different than if you want to win an EBI championship. Uh, in the points scene, you, um, which has basically dominated jiu-jitsu, jiu-jitsu competitively, Anyways, it's always been about the point system. So uh, most of the big giant associations focus on winning those points championships, and those training camps go year round. And and when you're focused on that, you've got that master that those training camps and style of winning the points tournaments. And now you got EBI, which is completely different. You got, the training camps are. are totally different. You know, in EBI, your training camp, you have to really focus on rear naked chokes and arm bars. It's very important. You've got to focus on finishing the fight. You know, passing and sweeping is very important, but in uh, the EBI rules, it's, it's you have to carve out a lot of time for submission. And in the point scene, in the point competitive circuit, you don't. You don't have to spend any time on submissions, really, the most important thing is is uh, the sweeps and the passes, in the points tournaments, and 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 uh, wrestling as well um, to make it harder. You know, the better wrestler you are, the 
the harder it is to score points on you, you know, when you incorporate the jiu-jitsu aspect into your game as well. So wrestling, sweeping, and passing are, are the most important elements of winning points tournaments. Um, you don't, you don't, you, you should never work on leg locks if you want to win a points tournament. I mean, every minute you spend working on leg locks is a minute wasted if the goal is to win a points championship. No, but in EBI, totally different. You better, you better spend a lot of time on leg locks because leg locks are legal and reaping is legal. Uh, and so if you're not spending any time on leg locks, you're going to get crushed in the EBI format. So uh, not only do you have to work extensively on your back attacks and your armbar attacks, but your leg attacks have got to be on point and your leg lock defense got to spend a lot of time on that. You don't have to spend any time on wrestling, really. I mean, you can, but Eddie Cummings is just crushing everybody, and he doesn't use any wrestling, not even an ounce of wrestling. Uh, so, um, you know, wrestling obviously does help in all forms of grappling. I mean, there's wrestling um, all over jiu-jitsu. It's not just about takedowns and not getting taken down. It's about um, not getting swept and uh, and finishing sweeps. That's all wrestling. Right there. So mm-hmm. wrestling is important, but but not if all you worked on was wrestling or if you worked on wrestling uh, at the same amount of time as you in the submission only game as you would in as you should in uh, the points game that that's just bad management of training time right there you know um, so it's, it's become two different sports yeah. and with that um, at this point now all the top uh, points champions they're not really that interested in the submission and only game right now because they know that it's two different sports and and uh, some you know it's, there's nothing wrong with specializing and specializing in the points game and you know that's where they've made their name, that's where uh, they're making their money. They're doing their seminars and their association. And, um, there's nothing wrong with specializing. You know, you just got to make a choice. You know, like all the submission only stars, they're not doing anything in the points tournaments. I mean, look look at look at Eddie Cummings. He's just uh, people fear him. He's just the best leg locker on the planet, and he's not doing any points tournaments. He's not. He's not even competing in the gi. He's not doing any of that. Yeah. Yet he could. Yet he's on you know covers of magazines and, and uh, uh, you know him and Gary Tonin. Gary Tonin's not. He's not lighting the world on fire in the points scene at all. He hasn't really done anything in the points tournament. But in the submission only tournament, Gary Tonin is probably the most dynamic grappler on the planet right now you know i mean he's he's incredible and he has he's not even made a dent in the points tournament so it's two different sports mm. you know, and you have all these guys and these guys that are just multiple time points champions and they haven't done anything in the submission only world you know it's it's two different sports so what happened with ebi9 you have a guy, we, we had Keenan Cornelius, he was down, and he was into it, and then he dropped out, and he's not the only points guy to drop out. You know, there have been many. Uh, Andre Gaval, he's a points champion, he dropped out. Um, uh, Cyborg, another points champion, he dropped out of PPI. We've had several, we've had a lot. So what's happening now is they're, just, they're, they're, they're smart. You know, they're specializing. They're, they're sticking to what they're good at. They're good at the at the IBJJF uh, World's Championships, which are points-based. And um, the submission-only game is just a whole different animal. You know, they don't. I don't blame them. They have 
they wanted to win a, a EBI championship, they're going to spend a lot of time on leg locks. You know, this is like, this is too much work for some guys, you know. <laughs> so gra- grappling is just, it's getting divided. We have the Eddie Cummings. Look at the whole Dan or her death squad. None of them do any point tournaments. None of them have done won a gold medal at black belt in the in the points tournament. So it's um yet they're completely crushing everybody in the submission only game. You know uh, their leg lock game is just at the elite level. I don't think there's you know we have there's always been these leg lock schools and associations, but I think the Dan or her death squad. They took leg locks to a whole new level. They're definitely the best at leg locks, and it's showing. You know, look at Eddie Cummings. Look at Gary Tonin. Look at that Gordon Ryan. They're leg locks, and then they got young guys coming up like uh, um, Oliver Taza and uh, um, uh, what's that guy's name? His last name is Krellistan. and even Gordon Ryan's uh, brother, Mickey Ryan. That guy's a leg lock wizard, and he's only fifteen. It's two different games, so. Uh, so Keenan was an EBI nine. He dropped out, and but we replaced him with Vinny Magalhaes, who's um, a gold medalist in ADCC. He's, Vinny Magalhaes has been preaching leg locks and sambo, you know, for the last ten years, and he's got big heel hook wins in Abu Dhabi as well. So, and you know, Eddie, you talked uh, very graciously about some John Danaher who's under Hensel Gracie open over in Manhattan, some of his students, and they, they really have been doing phenomenal. They have EBI belts themselves. They're, they're just, they're really great. Now, you've got a lot of students that are doing very well, competing against some of them. One of the things that struck me about some of your students is not just that they're, oh, they're very good, but how, how, how not long, how short of a time some of them have trained yet reached a black belt status, not just a a black belt in, in terms of a costume, but being able to go out there, compete, and beat some of the best in the world. Is that something about the 10th Planet Jiu-Jitsu system that you, that, that, that you, that was intentional? Like, the, the way you teach, was that, was that always something that you felt like, hey, if people learn my system, they can become really good, really fast? The plan is, and it's always been to have the best no gi jiu-jitsu system on the planet. That's always been the, the plan. Like, what do I got to do to be the best at, uh, um, and, you know, and whether or not we reach that goal, we're going to be the best that we can possibly be. You know, right now, uh, right now, um, the Dan or Death Squad, they're the best finishers in the game. There's no doubt. They're the best. When it comes to finishing fights, finishing grappling matches, there's nobody better and collectively, you know, individually, you know, you have guys like Marcelo Garcia, you guys have like uh, guys like uh, Hapa Mendez, you know, uh, individually. Um, but as a team, man, they got they got such a solid team, and, and uh, John Banners put together a system out there. That, uh, they're proven it time and time again. As far as pure finishers, they're the best. Are they the best passers? Is uh, Eddie Cummings the best passer? Is he better a better passer than um, Matias Denny's or Yuri Simone's? I would say no. Um, is Gary Tonin a better passer than uh, Lucas Latree or uh, or Leandro Lowe? Uh, I would say hell no. But as far as finishing fights, they're the best. There's no doubt about it. They are the best. They're better than anybody that's won the Mundials. Um, collectively. Collectively. Uh, Marcelo, of course. He, Marcelo may be the best finisher ever. But at the same time, uh, Cummings is right there. I don't know. You know Cummings is just ripping people quickly 
you know. And so, um, in our pursuit of catching the Tanner Death Squad, um, whether we catch him or not, maybe Eddie Cummings is just untappable. You know, uh, Mansure, Munchie couldn't even tap him. Taquino, uh, he couldn't do anything to come. You know, so maybe there we just can't. Maybe there's nothing, no one can catch him. But we're trying <laughs> our, our our best, and in our pursuit, in our pursuit of taking our leg lock game um, as association to the highest possible level, it's way better than it was before. Since EBI won, um, I realized, wow, we really got to spend way more time in leg lock. I've always been for leg locks. We've always had leg lock experts in the association, but me personally, I never, never. Um, uh, made it officially part of the system and, and put it in myself and decided to learn it myself until EBI. I thought what I was doing was, um, being, I thought being leg lock friendly this whole time was uh, good enough. But see, there was never a submission only game for it. Was, it was either the point system or MMA jiu-jitsu. MMA jiu-jitsu or point no-key jiu-jitsu. So, and I focused, when there was only those two, I focused all my time on uh, MMA Jiu-Jitsu, which is like what you see with Damon Maya. That's what we've been doing this whole time, focusing on that. The, 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 uh, the best possible Jiu-Jitsu for MMA. And, and the best possible Jiu-Jitsu for MMA is not necessarily the best, poss- best Jiu-Jitsu for the point game. It's not, because in the point game, there's so much more other stuff that you can focus on and get good at, and all these other different paths it won't necessarily translate to MMA. So, but since there's no punches and everyone's focusing on, on winning the points tournaments, we were never, 10th Plan was never focused on winning points tournaments. We did points tournaments and we would show up to the Nogi World, but we were focused on finishing fights and, and focusing on, on the best jiu-jitsu for MMA. And the best jiu-jitsu for MMA is not necessarily the best jiu-jitsu for the point game. It's just, it's just not. Um, especially if you want to win those big, you know, uh, team titles and all that stuff. But we would do them anyways. But, but now there's a, a new sport. It's right there. It's right there in the middle. It's not MMA, but it's, it's more, it's, 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 it's more, uh, uh, it's closer to MMA than the point game. Is. Um, uh, it's focused on, so now there's a new sport. And now since there's a new sport, Shit, Danaher's been training for that sport before that sport even existed. He's been doing leg locks heavily uh, for the last 15 years, so they're way ahead of everyone else. So now, now that there's this new submission-only sport, now we, we me personally, uh, we, I made um, leg locks a very heavy part of the whole entire 10th planet system as well. We're still focused on MMA jiu-jitsu, but now we're also focused on the submission-only game. And... Um, and I love it, man. That, you know, whether it, it, it's it's just grappling. It's not like you know we're beating each other's heads, <laughs> and it's all friendly. And uh, I love Gary Tonin. I love Gary Gordon Ryan. Guys are those guys are awesome. Uh, do I want to? Do I want my guys to beat them? Yes, I do. Uh, you know, but it's friend, it's friend, it's a friendly rivalry, and it's it's competition, and uh, it, all it's doing is making us better. You know, over the last two years, like now, my guys have, haven't been this good ever. Where the leg lock game that we that's been infused into the system, we're only you know two three years deep in it, but it's made such a tremendous difference, and uh, I'm loving it. You know, this is this is evolution. We're going to look back at this 20 years from now, and uh, you know that's how evolution works. You know, new things come up, new things pop up, a new sport popped up, um, leg locks got heavily 
infused into the Templar system. Um, this is all just part of the process. You know, I, I love I love the fact that we have to get get medieval with these leg locks. I love it. Uh, I want to end the discussion, Eddie, with jiu-jitsu, Brazilian jiu-jitsu for MMA. You brought that specter up earlier, and you've talked extensively, written extensively about how that was really your purpose uh, with, with spinning off on your own and, and, and creating 10th Planet Jiu-Jitsu schools and, and, and your system. It, it makes me think there was, um, you mentioned Amy Maya, who might have the best jiu-jitsu for MMA in the history of, of the sport at this point. He, he's just... It's 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 so effective. It's it's kind of uh, it's kind of a marvel. And I had gotten the chance to to interview Damien. I think a couple fights ago for him in Las Vegas before he was fighting in person. And I, you know I, that's what I was interested in, in asking him about. He got into MMA pretty late as a relatively old guy, as an athlete. He got into MMA old. Before that, he was a world class grap submission grappler with the gi. Uh, in Abu Dhabi, he, he was incredible there. He did seminars. He was making a living. He transitioned into MMA very late. And a lot of times what we've seen when people do that late, they don't make the adjustments, adjustments necessary to have their jiu-jitsu be effective uh, in, in, in more realistic uh, fighting situations. So I'd always wonder about Damien. And I said, you know, this guy's either got to be like the most ridiculous alien talented freak ever and it's just kind of magical or there's something about the way he trains that makes that that's helped him transition effectively into MMA. And and one of the things he told me an explanation was he's like, you know what, I'm really grateful for my jiu-jitsu career. It was it was wonderful, but that was never the goal. When he was winning gold medals uh, in Mundials, when he was winning at Abu Dhabi in Nogi submission grappling, none of that was the goal. He said he said uh, you know my goal was always to. He grew up watching Hoist Gracie was to go in the UFC cage and fight like Hoist Gracie and use my jiu-jitsu to fight like Hoist Gracie did. So fighting was always the goal. So he said, I didn't rely on grips like with the gi. I didn't, I didn't do much with the, with the lapel. I, you know, I, I worked on my wrestling, things of that nature. So what he was alluding to was a way of training for a fight, even when you're just grappling. And that seemed to reap major benefits from him. I mean, I mean is, that, is that something that, that, that you guys are have always been mindful of when you say, hey, we, we developed jiu-jitsu for MMA when we're grappling. Is it is it something akin to that? Yeah, that's exactly what we've been doing this whole time. You know, Damon Maya and and, uh, and Ken Planet have been have, have basically the same philosophy. You know, uh, that's what the rubber guard's about. You know, when you're playing rubber guard effectively, you can't, you can't hurt anybody. You know, there's, there's anytime... In MMA, anytime someone plays rubber guard and they're actually in rubber guard, you can't get hurt. No one's ever been hurt in rubber guard. So that, you know, the, the, the way you get hurt in the guard is they, they posture out of rubber guard and then they proceed to throw a penalty. But while you're in it, uh, you can't get hit. So that's what that's um, uh, what we've been doing this whole time. And when you look at what Damon Mai is doing technically, Technically, he's not playing any full guard really that much. He's not really trying to attack the full guard that much. He, he's just keeping it simple. He's playing half guard and looking for the other. That's what we. That's the basis of my entire half guard game. To get on the inside where you're safe, nice and close and tight and clinched up, and make sure you have that under when you're playing half guard. Um, we like to play full guard and rubber guard, so we'll stay there. Damon Myers not not a. a, a a big bull guard player in MMA, which is fine because if you could get that underhook 
in half guard and uh, either stand back up or get the sweep, that's fine. That's, that's, that's been our philosophy this whole time. So the Damien Maya philosophy and the 10 Planet philosophy are exactly the same. That's why when I opened up 10 Planet, we went pure no gi. Just so that not a, a, a you know, uh, when I trained in the gi, I did my best not to grab collars and sleeves, just like Damien Maya, because I thought I may be doing MMA, but he wanted to do MMA. That was his goal. I was preparing for MMA just in case I was forced to do it. I had nothing else. You know, if it was, if it was between going back to waking up at 5.30 in the morning and roofing and doing MMA, I was going to do MMA. So I was training for MMA as a last resort. So I had the same thoughts and philosophy as Damon Maya. He was training for MMA because that was his dream and he wanted to do it. But we were both doing the same thing. We weren't going after car. We, you know, it, when you're training in the gi, it's hard not to grab the gi, you know, 100% of the time. But we were both doing our best not to rely on, on uh, setting up sweeps and submissions based on collar control. And, and, you know, and when I decided to open up my school, we, you know, I made it really easy for my students. You know, we're not going to, you're not going to, I'm not going to have to uh, force you not to grab the collar. There's not going to be any collars to grab. That's why we went no gi to improve jujitsu and MMA. Um, just to completely eliminate the collar and the sleeve. That's not even an issue. Now you're forced to play um, basically a Greco-Roman style of jujitsu. Upper body clinches, overhooks, underhooks, head control. Stay tight. Stay out of punching range. You know, and my whole system is based on that. It's staying tight, clinching. If I'm not clinching you, it's only because I, uh, you're not allowing me to. If you're allowing me to, I'm going to stick to you and I'm not going to let go. And I'm going to, and I'm going to, uh, um, there's paths. There's all these clenching paths and all these steps and, and maps and options, all based on clenching and moving from one clinch to the next clinch, inch by inch, clinch by clinch. Uh, it's, that's my whole system. It's always been based on that just in case. I was forced to do MMA. Luckily, I didn't have to do MMA, and I got students that are doing it now. And, and uh, um, you know, uh, I got Tony Ferguson. He's going to fight Rafael Dos Anjos. You know, we're getting ready to go to Big Bear and do a training camp for him up there. Uh, um, you know, we got uh, Ben Saunders. Is uh, he's adopted the game too? So, um, <clears throat> and when you look at what Damian Maya is doing on top, he's keeping it. Nice and simple. There's so many different ways you can pass the guard. You know, when there's no punches, you got all these combos, these leg drag combos, and all these different ways to pass. But you know, when when the guy on the bottom in MMA can up kick you and can also punch you and can also just stand up and change the whole stand up and then just kickbox with you, the whole dynamics of passing changes. It has to be a hundred percent pressure passing. There's no, you know, setting up with leg drags and all this stuff that. That you can, it's great for the point system. It's not going to even come up in MMA. You know, you're going to stand up and dudes are going to, you're going to be able to stand up briefly. Dudes on the bottom can up kick and they, or they could just stand up. And so what Damian Meyer's doing is he's just, he's, that tripod he's doing, we call that chest passing. Um, but it's basically the same thing. You're just chest passing, trying to either pass, to, you know, fully or pass the top half passing. So what he's doing, is, is he incorporating top half passing? There's there's people there's jujitsu black belts out there who never really get the top. They really they either pass 100 percent or 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 stand up. Pass 100 percent or stand up. But passing the top half and working your top half passing is crucial in MMA. And that's what what Damian Meyer is doing. If you watch 
some of, some of his transitions on top. He never even passes the guard and he gets the back. Because you, you, if, if you know the path, you don't have to pass the guard even to get the back. So it would technically what Damon Mayan did in, um, uh, I forget who he did it against, but he, he, he tripoding, chest pass, he gets the top half, and then he never even passes. His, his ankle's still caught. He goes from top half to three-quarter mount. He's still not passed, but now he's in three-quarter mount. And then from there, he throws punches from three-quarter mount. He gets the guys to turn, the guys to turn, and then he's on the back, and that foot that was caught in three-quarter mount now becomes one of the leg hooks. So he never passed the guard. He went from from tripod, his tripod passing, to top half passing, to three-quarter mount, to the back, to punching, and then to the back. So that right there, that's the path right there. And, and you know, anybody that's, that's a black belt in the UFC, they should be practicing that path right there, not um, uh, paths that work when there's no punches. You know, and, and they don't come up in MMA. So, what, what Damon Myers figured out is he's figured out on the bottom he's going to get that underhook from half guard, and on top he's going to get he's going to get to a top halfing top half passing situation, um, and that's really it. He keeps it really really simple. And when you when you figure out what works and what doesn't work, and when it, when your opponent can punch you, man, it, it comes down to what he's doing. And and the BJJ scout is. Is broke it all down, and um, and, and you should be watching that one. There's, there's a four part video where they took all his UFC fights and broke it down. That's huge. Yeah. So can you see in the in the beginning, uh, Damon Mai was was he didn't really have he was playing great jujitsu in the beginning, but he perfected it. Now it's perfected. Now the moves and the paths are perfected, and um, it's gonna be very hard to stop him. You see what he did to Carlos Condit. Now that he now that he has the path down, oh man, that's going to be a hard one to stop. Yeah, he's got the path down, and he's elite level. You know, uh, uh, you know, top of the food chain jujitsu, and he has the path down. Shit, that's going to be a hard one to stop. You're going to see the separation in uh, your average black belts and your elite. You know, him as an elite black belt. I don't think. I think now that he's got it all, he's got it. Got it all figured out. The paths. I don't think he's going to be stopped on the on the ground anymore. I think he's going to go right through people. That was uh, Eddie Bravo, the head of the Tenth Planet Jiu-Jitsu System, Black Bell. And um, Eddie, I want to keep you on for one last second. I, you've got the EBI Nine coming up. We were talking about it earlier. Where can people watch it, and where can they learn more about the Tenth Planet Jiu-Jitsu System? E- EBI Nine is November sixth on UFC Fight Pass. That's going to have that Warden Lions going up to 205. He's going to try to take that title, too. He just won the 185 title. He's going to try to take that light heavyweight title, too. Danny Magalhães, he's, he's got something to say about that as well. And then a month later, in Mexico City, uh, December the 2nd, we have uh, EBI 10, which is the Bantamweights. Gio Martinez, he's the current Bantamweight champion. And uh, Eddie Cummings is is cutting down to 135. He wants that belt. The Dead the, the Earth Death Squad, they want all the EBI belts. That's their goal. So you got Cummings dropping down to 135 to take that belt. If he, if he takes that belt, uh, I think that's the only belt that they don't have, is that 135 belt. So it's going to be interesting to see. Uh, you know, Gio and Cummings, are, they have a super fight in about a month. Whoever wins that match, they'll probably get a rematch at EBI 10 in Mexico City. 
That's pretty cool. I didn't realize yeah, that, that, that one's uh, Jeff Kern's going to be in that mm, one as well. Cool. Um, Zhao Miao is going down at 135. It's going to be, uh, man, uh, it's going to be nuts. Also, if you're interested in learning the 10th Planet system, I put all my techniques on my website, 10thplanetjj.com. Click techniques. There's 111 episodes of uh, uh, instruction. So it's endless. And it's only five bucks a month. Awesome. That was Eddie Bravo, the head of 10th Planet Jiu-Jitsu, the promoter and owner of Eddie Bravo Invitational, which is really the, the most exciting pioneering submission grappling tournament out there in the world. I had a chance, Mike, to see one in live and in person in L.A. Um, last uh, spring. It was pretty cool. You know, I didn't expect, I, I love Jiu-Jitsu. I've been doing Jiu-Jitsu since I was a kid. I didn't expect to go to a, like an old school theater with mats on a stage and be entertained for several hours at a time. Uh, it's super easy to watch. Uh, through UFC Fight Pass. If you don't have a subscription to UFC Fight Pass, try to do it. It's pretty cool. <laughs> you got a lot of footage. It's, it's the easiest thing in the world now to watch. Just sit at home or on your computer and your TV and, and turn it on. The next one's on November 6th. They're going international, I guess. I didn't know they were going to be going to Mexico City. That's pretty cool. Um, those two guys you mentioned, his students, Gio Martinez uh, and Eddie Cummings from John Danaher's Death Squad in New York. They're Before they compete, they're competing here in Chicago or Chicago area in October. So pretty cool. A lot of people... I know Eddie Bravo from his work when he used to do analysis for, for the UFC. They know him as being Joe Rogan's uh, jiu-jitsu instructor. He's a, he's a pretty accomplished guy, and he has a really unique uh, approach. He works with, like you mentioned, Tony Ferguson. I just chatted with Tony Ferguson yesterday. He is, he is now in Big, Big Bear, um, California. Hopefully I have him on soon. you got Ben Saunders, who just choked someone out in like 17 seconds, choked Jacob uh, Volkman out, a great wrestler, and he's back in the UFC. So Eddie Bravo has not been teaching for a very long time, but he's made a really big impact, and he has a really cool perspective on the jiu-jitsu um, you know, in, in the U in the UFC, I'm glad you mentioned BJJ Scout. That's a really cool site for people that are either a already jujitsu nerds or b want to learn because you know nothing about the stuff you're seeing in the UFC. If you know nothing about it, go on there and you'll start learning some really cool things. I was just watching a series on BJ Penn's uh, guard passing. A lot of little details you, you don't pick up on watching the fights live, but you can learn a lot through it. So. That was pretty cool. Glad to have uh, Eddie on. He's never shy to talk either, so it's just awesome. <laughs> awesome as a guest that way. I love that. I'm a BJJ nerd, so I enjoy this discussion about the passing and everything, and I found that fascinating. I was actually haven't ever checked out the website, so now it's on my list of things to do. Um, that being said, the episode's gone a little bit longer than we originally planned, so we got to wrap things up. Uh, first thing I wanted to mention is that uh, we would like to do a kind of a segment where fans can call in and leave a voicemail with a question kind of like a mailbag but instead of us reading questions you send us on twitter like you can actually have your voice heard on the podcast so if you call this number that i'm about to read and uh we dropped it in the comments of the facebook live chat if you're watching there uh call this number leave a voicemail with your question and your name and we could read it during a podcast in the future uh the number is 815-570-3923 again that's 815 815- Five seven zero three nine two three, and uh, as always, you can listen to the podcast and subscribe and download episodes from iTunes. You can also do so in the Google Play Store, and uh, we're also on the TuneIn app. So if you listen there, you can check it out there as well. Make sure to follow Extra Rounds on Twitter for the latest. We'll keep you up to date with uh, the guests that we have lined up for the show. Uh, Sports Illustrated MMA on Facebook, where we will continue to do live episodes and. Uh, 
We'll let you know when the next episodes are coming so you can make sure to watch that. And the response and amount of people viewing has been pretty great. And uh, I just wanted to thank all of you guys for taking the time out to watch um, our first inaugural live broadcast of the show. And this is something that we wanted to do since the beginning. And we finally did it after only eight episodes or seven episodes, yeah, I guess, really. So not, not that bad. And we'll be doing it live in the future. Uh, and we hope you guys keep tuning back in to... Um, watch and always make sure to comment in the comments below during the show we pay attention and uh, we interact and we can potentially ask questions on the air or address what you're saying on the air as well so uh, thank you again Mike Dice at Mike Dice on Twitter Elias Cepeda at E-L-I-A-S C-E-P-E-D-A and Twitter and uh, thank you guys see you next time